Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Matthew 5, verse number 4. The Bible says these words, Jesus speaking, we are in the Beatitudes, lesson number two. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And my subject matter, I'm not getting real fancy with any titles per se this series, but basically my subject matter is mourn for the next few moments. I know it's real intriguing, isn't it? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, I love you. God, I appreciate Jesus you. God, understand, God, Jesus, that you are my Savior. You are my helper. You are my guide. God, I place, Jesus, my dependency, Father, upon you. I pray, Lord, you would help us, God, in the next few moments. God, as we look at the Word of God, that we can somehow receive instruction. We can receive, Lord Jesus, help, Lord, from the Scriptures. I pray, O Lord, today, God, let us obtain knowledge, but more importantly, God, direction, God, and instruction for our life, Jesus. And we will, by sure, Lord, give you the praise and the glory, God, for what you accomplished through your word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everyone say amen. 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 You may be seated this evening in Jesus' name. Beatitudes. This is our second lesson on mourn, or our second lesson per se, and our subject matter is mourn. And uh, whenever you talk about the subject of mourn, uh, there may be a few different, a few different synonyms that come to mind whenever I say mourn. As a matter of fact, just for the sake that you don't get too lethargic and set back, could anybody just give me another word that comes to mind tonight whenever the word mourn comes to your mind? Anybody? Grief, I heard grief, sorrow. Anything else getting you involved here, opening your mouth on a Wednesday night Bible study? Crying, crying, suffering, perhaps. Weeping, old biblical word, lamentation. Lamentation, but whenever we mourn. It's important tonight, first of all, to note concerning the word mourn when we look at it beyond just a Webster's Dictionary type of definition that uh, the Greek word for mourn that is used here is the strongest word for mourning in the Greek language. There are about nine different words that could be translated mourn in the Greek language, but this one is the strongest of the nine. It is the mourning that uh, results as a result of death is the mourning that comes about as a product of death Uh, this is the mourning that Jacob had in the Old Testament scripture even whenever he thought that his son Joseph was dead this was the type of grief and mourning that he experienced it's the mourning that one would have over something that was dead the passionate lamentation for one who was loved or dear to them this is the word mourn. So we're not just talking about, you know, a little boo-hoo here over spilt milk. We're talking about a very deep, grievous, 
sorrow, weeping, lamentation, the kind that you feel like your inwards become outwards. <laughs> you know, from the depths of your soul type of mourning. And yet scripture relates to us, blessed are they that do that type of mourning. That deep down type of guttural type of mourning for they shall be comforted. Now, interesting as with all of these beatitudes is that each one of them almost stand as a paradox alone. Uh, it seems a little bit against human logic and nature, each of these, the way that they are stated. And so it is with the second one. Because under normal circumstances, we don't associate mourning uh, with something positive. Usually when you say someone's been crying or someone has been weeping or someone is sorry for or something like that. You normally don't, don't color that in a fashion that that's something positive that's then taking place in their life. For that matter, if we come upon someone unbeknownst to us and they are crying or they are weeping, what is the first things out of your mouth? Hey, what's wrong with you? Because we automatically associate there's, there's something that got to be going wrong if an individual is crying or if they are mourning, you know. Uh, many times we'll go around them. We might uh, put a cautious hand on their shoulder or if they're a relative of yours, you just might embrace them because you know, you know the world has just basically fell apart because this person is crying. They are, they are mourning. And so then we begin to reason with our human reasoning because that's the only way sometimes we know to reason, isn't it? With human reasoning. We begin to reason how in the world can someone that is mourning be blessed? What blessing is there in mourning? What, 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 what is there that is positive or good that you can get from mourning? I mean, whenever I begin to consider that their mourning has probably resulted from something horrible, what, how blessed can that be? Amen. And I even understand sometimes people talk about, well, I'm just crying tears of joy. You've heard that. You know, you've mistaken why someone was crying and they tell you, oh, I'm just happy. I'm crying because of tears of joy. Yet, really in reality, when we begin to think about that, those tears of joy have come because a person has a sense of release or a sense of relief over some deep-seated worry deep-seated fear. Uh, if, if I could say it like this, you know, uh, the, the, the lady who is the wife of a soldier in foreign soil, he comes home after his tenure over there and she embraces him and she's crying. Not a horrible thing. Yes, tears of joy, but what's behind that is those tears are a result of a sense of relief and release because she had some worry and fear that that soldier may not return home to her so 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 we we, we have all this that, that that we contend with and he said blessed are they that that mourn and it seems like an odd statement to us it seems like an odd statement you know you would never say well well bless you i just hope you really have a good mournful day tomorrow you know i hope you just cry your heart out this week uh, you, we just usually don't go around slapping each other high fives about uh, how we stayed in bed and sobbed for, you know, several hours. But it seems an odd statement to us, but it's not odd whenever we understand this simple fact that only those who can feel can mourn. Only those who can feel 
can mourn. And I'm not necessarily tapping into the idea of feeling with our physical senses, but even in an emotional type of sense way. Only those who can truly feel can mourn. Uh, years ago, I shared a story, and I couldn't find today the book that I ever got it from. I don't know if it, it got somewhere uh, caught up in the moving process from here to Florida. I don't know where it's at. But however, I, I, got, I think I know enough of it to be able to share it, that there was a man uh, who for 13 years, he was a missionary uh, to some lepers in a particular country, and a leper community, a leper colony, uh, which leprosy is highly contagious. And he was a missionary to them, no doubt, probably through the understanding that life upon this earth was very short for them. So if their gospel needed to be shared with anybody, it needed to be shared with those who were in their departure of life. And so after being there for a particular time, finally, uh, this horrific dreaded disease came upon him and laid hold upon him. And now he was struck with leprosy in his body. And one morning while he was in, I don't know if it's a hut or a house, what his arrangements were, but he spilled some boiling water on his foot. But there was not the slightest pain that he felt from that boiling water that had fell upon his foot. And it was at that moment in time he said that he knew that he was doomed and that he had been overtaken by the disease of leprosy because uh, yeah, you know, fingers rot off and noses rot off, so on and so forth. Extremities rot off with leprosy. But the real root cause of all, the, all that is because leprosy destroys the simple nerves that cause healthy people to feel pain. And so if they get an infection in their finger, if leprosy is set in their body, those, those indicators that indicate to you you're feeling pain in that thing, finger from infection are not there. So you continue with life as though nothing's going on. No type, no infections taking place in your body. Before you know it, you don't have a finger. But all that results because those sensory organs that help you to feel pain are not there. And he knew whenever that boiling pot hit, hit, hit his foot and he didn't feel anything. He knew he was in grave danger. Matter of fact, he knew at that moment in time it would have been a hundred times better for him to have felt the pain associated with the boiling pot of water than not to have felt it at all. Been great if he could just sit down and mourned a while with blisters coming up on his foot from the boiling water than not to have felt it at all because only those who can feel can mourn. And there is a blessing then in that. There's a blessing in that concerning the life of the church and the life of a Christian, the life of humanity because whenever you get to a place that things can happen to you in your life. Messages can be preached. Issues can be addressed. Sins can be addressed. And that doesn't impact the heart anymore. That doesn't impact the soul anymore. Then that is a very dangerous position to be in. That where that same message preached 10 years ago would drive someone to a place of repentance on their knees. Or if that same sin was mentioned earlier in their progression through this sin, that that would have tugged at their heart, it arrested their spirit and their soul. So it is blessed to be able to mourn. It's good to be able to hear something spoken in a moment of time in a message that kind of pricks our spirit, makes us uneasy. It's good to be able to sit in a church service, ladies and gentlemen, 
And somewhere throughout a course of a year, hopefully some preaching or teaching that comes from this pulpit makes you step back just a little bit and say, hey, I, I, need, to tighten up, I need to tighten up the screws over here. Or I, I, I need to somehow batten down the hatches over here because if so, you, 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 you're not past feeling. You're not past recognizing when something pricks your skin. You're not so callous that it doesn't draw blood from you. And you got, it's a tremendous thing then to be able to come to recognition of failures and faults uh, and feeling the word penetrating our spirit that, hey, I, I, I feel convicted. It, it is a good thing to be able to say in your life that there's some things that you do sometimes that still convicts you. Amen. It's a great thing that you can hear words come out of some people's mouths and it still just makes you cringe. There's nothing wrong with that. That means you can still feel. Amen. Not only if you can feel, can you mourn. If I could say it in this way today, blessed are they that mourn because they are not past feeling. Mm -hmm. It... It doesn't hurt my feelings. It doesn't hurt God's feelings to see somebody come and plow their head into this altar and make a spot moist on this carpet. If you can still feel, if you can still mourn, let me encourage you. He's not going to leave you in your mourning state. He's not going to leave you in your state of feeling overwhelmed with what may have been wrong or done wrong. He shall come and comfort you. Come and comfort you. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse 19. The Bible, it's speaking here concerning the Gentiles, but it says, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Paul was speaking to the church at Ephesus. He was trying to persuade the church He's telling them not to be like other Gentiles. He said, there are some other Gentiles among you that are past feeling. In other words, they can't mourn anymore. Although there are absolutely identifiable wrongs in their life, and I address it with my letters, he says, they continue on their way as though I've not said anything. Because they're not allowing those words that used to impact them and affect them to impact them anymore. How does one get to a place like that? By ignoring the conviction whenever they could feel the conviction. It's, it's when we feel like we shouldn't make amends, but we don't do anything to make amends. It's, 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 it's the young man that becomes a logger and he grabs that axe back in the olden days and he's hewing wood and, and his gentle, fragile hands understand that the day's in, he's got blisters and they're popping and blood's bursting because he's got these tender, infant, fragile, sensitive, might I say, hands. But after years of serving in the same capacity of working through the blisters and the blood, just continuing, those calluses get hard. Now he can do a day's work. There's no blister. 
he has lost some of the sensitivity to his hands. I know even my father, Bishop, here, he spoke about playing the guitar for all those years and the tip of his fingers, man, are just kind of hard. Matter of fact, just taking blood to get a reading sometimes hard to get any blood because he's got so many layers of callus from playing for so long. He's not as sensitive in his fingertips as he used to be because that's healed and that's healed and now there's a deep layer of callus there. Amen. If we don't allow ourselves sometimes, things can go forward in teaching and preaching in a service that God could be convicting and laying something upon our spirit. And if we just shrug that off, we're just allowing another layer to be laid so that the next time it's not going to penetrate as deep as it did the last time. And if we continue to shrug it off, make no amends, who cares? I'm okay. And continue in that mindset, we'll find ourselves someday, folks, and I know we don't talk about this type of stuff anymore. We don't talk about this thing of being past feeling. But you'll get to a place, ladies and gentlemen, if you constantly ignore the tugging, the conviction of the Spirit of God, that He'll still try to convict and still try to penetrate, but you'll be so wrapped up in that everything's okay and you're fine that you won't even understand the knocking of the hand of God at your door. That's what Paul was speaking of. He said there are some that are past feeling, and look what's happening. They're past feeling, the Bible says, and have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all cleanness with greediness. See, when you are past feeling, you can give yourself to uncleanness without a second thought. You'll give yourself to a lot of things without consideration because, see, you're already past feeling. A person past feeling, they don't care about, about the drugs they inject in their body. They don't care about the alcohol they drink. They don't care about having a sleeping mate, different one every night. Hey man, can I shave just a little close tonight? I didn't take six days off to come back here and strip everybody. But can I say whenever you're past feeling, you're in activity and worship, who cares if I do, who cares if I don't? Past feeling says, hey, if I miss five mornings of prayer and hit it on the sixth day, it's okay. Hey man. So, 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 the senses of right and wrong, they... They've been severed. The feelings of conviction, they don't penetrate as deep. And here's, here's the amazing thing, folks. I don't know if we've ever just stopped and paused to think about this, but whenever, when you, when you don't experience, sadly, whenever you're past this feeling, you don't experience that guilt, you don't experience that shame. But I believe sometimes on the opposite end of the spectrum, listen to me now, that you also avoid yourself of experiencing the exhilaration of innocence as well. Just as much as you get past the feeling of feeling the conviction, you miss the exuberance of feeling the positive side of feeling when things are well. And so then what happens, people throw out the facades. We have them today. We throw out the facades and people say, that doesn't bother me. Now, we put that up as a facade sometimes. It really bothers us. We just kind of, you know, we got to be super whoever. You know, someone says something, uh, a circumstance takes place, and we throw up, well, that doesn't bother me. 
you're either past spilling or you're a bold-faced liar. Okay. But the problem is, is if that statement would actually become reality, you would be the most cursed person of the hour. Mm -hmm. Can I even say today that I believe, and it's studying today, I feel like the Lord was prodding my heart along, that I believe that we have raped a generation of comfort. Listen to me right now. We have raped a generation of comfort because we silenced their mourning. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We have raped a generation of comfort because we have silenced their mourning. Listen, the mourner is blessed not just because he is a mourner, but because they are mourners that shall be comforted. In recent days, it's been some time ago, but uh, I was somewhere and I was observing, I was observing a toddler that was walking, walking along some concrete and uh, that toddler fell on the concrete and it began to cry. And uh, it was crying. Undoubtedly, it felt some pain. But in the midst of that, I'm supposing its parent, its parent snapped its fingers. Toddler, mind you. Snapped its fingers and said, Hey! We don't do that. Now come on. And that child at that young age began to squelch its tears, was not consoled by its parent, and proceeded to walk on, no doubt, with some real feelings of hurt that was masked over. What's being taught here, I thought to myself. What's going on right here? What's being taught here? What was being taught to that child was this. You need to ignore what you're feeling right now. You need to ignore what you're feeling right now and you need to go on like nothing happened. And so now the line gets real blurry for that child growing up in life. Because if we're not to acknowledge sorrow and if we're not to acknowledge pain, perhaps we shouldn't acknowledge the joy and the bliss either. And so I'm preaching to a generation of today. So now we have a generation that's developed that cannot be moved by pain or praise. Uh-huh. They are just emotionally numb. Amen. And the bar always has to be higher on any end of the spectrum in order to have the same result that a generation prior could have a lesser bar. In other words, we got to have more pain to have the same impact, or we got to have greater exhilaration to have the same euphoria. And from the world, it's coming to the church. From the world, it's coming to the church. That now, oh God, help me. Now we got to have newfangled things we got to have glitter and gold. We have to have all the cutting edge and cutting this and cutting that in order to have, per se, the same impact that generations before us didn't have. Why? Because I believe generations have trained people to be just totally desensitized. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, I'm just going to get in my bubble and I'm not affected by anything and I'm not going to affect anything. 
Just ignore the feeling. Go on like nothing's happening. So people come in services. And let me tell you, it's harder today to be a preacher than it's ever to be a preacher. Because they have that idea. What he's preaching, just ignore the feeling. Just go on like nothing's happening. Preach against sin, preach against fornication, preach against whatever you want to preach against that's according to God's word. And they're just saying, hey, I'm just ignoring the feeling of conviction. I'm going on with my life like everything's okay. What I'm doing in accordance with total alignment with God, we'll do it even as saints come sometime. Just ignore what he's saying. Talk to the hand because the face isn't listening. Amen. Blessed are they which mourn because those who are mourning are still feeling they are still sensitive. They're still sensitive. So, dealing with a generation that's been taught not to mourn. In essence, the skin of their spiritual soul has become very tough, impervious to penetrating preaching. You know, we, we quote, we call people, man, they're standing strong. You've heard that terminology. Man, they're standing strong. You know, adversity hits their life. Boy, they're really standing strong. You know, sin's cornered their life. Boy, they're still standing strong. As a result, though, they just remain emotionally dead. Just as well as when greatness is happening. Not affected. Bad happening, not affected. Emotionally dead. They don't repent because they don't feel like they've done anything wrong. Mm -hmm. They won't ask forgiveness because the other person with the open wound is too touchy. It's a trivial matter, it matter anyway. They don't feel shame or guilt because they've been taught how not to mourn. Statement comes, probably more so of a man thing than anyone's, but statements come, things like mourning or weeping or crying or things like that. That shows weakness. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. It shows a healthy type of weakness. It shows that we have encountered step one in this list of Beatitudes that we taught last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall, for they shall, uh, 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 for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it shows that we've come to that first step. We're weak, poor, if you will, weak in spirit. It shows that we are in need of some help beyond of what we can provide for ourselves. I like what this man. Don't know him. Never heard of him. But I read something of him today. His name's Ron Dunn. He said, you never know if Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And when Jesus is all you have, then and only then will you discover that Jesus is really all you need. Amen. Remember now, these Beatitudes, they're, they're interrelational. They are with progression. There is a reason why you become poor in spirit and then you come to the place of being able to mourn and then come to the place of being able to hunger and thirst and have meekness. There's a reason why all this takes place. And really, whenever you look at beatitude number one and beatitude number two, we come to realize that really these two are interconnected. 
Because after you come to be poor in spirit and you realize that you are in need, there's some light bulbs or something that goes off and comes on in your head. Whenever you begin to realize that, you begin to mourn over how you felt so self-sufficient. You begin to mourn over how you felt like you needed nothing after you come to a place you realize you are in need. And if I may go to Ephesians 4 verse 14, uh, Ephesians 4 verse 14, the Bible states these words. It says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. That was the Sermon on the Mount. Truth was, he hit some very hard things from very core issues of his day, but he spoke the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love may, listen now, the same people that's been here and there, tossed to and fro, Here's a new teaching, I'll listen to that. Here's another teaching, I'll listen to that. This was the era of time that Jesus was living. People was always waiting for a new philosophy, a new teaching to come about. Mars Hill, that's what that was all about. In Acts 16 or 17 it was. They came and they would always wait to hear a new thing. And so they was always going to and fro. He says, but listen, he says, when we get to where we speak the truth in love, he says that they, these people that's doing all this vacillating back and forth, may grow up, grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. See, the Beatitudes were more than just a little side note in the sermon. And more than just a little side note in the, in the sermon. As I said, for, for people, the disciples particularly, they were words of instruction. Of what? Of how they could grow up into him in all things. Amen. Jesus was addressing the disciples. There was a multitude there as well. Amen. They had a certain idea about Christianity, what it was all about. But Jesus wanted to clarify that definition for them. He wanted to clarify that definition for them. So he spoke the truth in love during his Sermon on the Mount, which included the Beatitudes, and he didn't skirt around any, any issues. Amen. He, he hit a lot of very uh, prominent issues for his day, even for ours. He hit them head on, and the information he gave in the Beatitudes was nothing more but a process for them to grow up into him in all things. And in order to grow up, you know, uh, a lot of times they have all these uh, uh, therapy programs and, and uh, so on and so forth. You know, we have AAA and all this other stuff, you know, rehab places and such. And they say the number, the first step, the first thing you always got to do concerning any of these things, you got to recognize you got a problem. You can't go any further until you come to terms with you have a problem. Well, in Jesus' therapy rehabilitation program for humanity was this. You can't go any further until you realize that you don't have the answer to your own problem. <laughs> you have a problem. You have a need. And he says from there, you'll come to a place of mourning. So, so first, in order to grow up in him, in all things, you have to come to terms that you are not all that. <laughs> You're not all that. And you have to be able to admit, though, that you're still, look at this, he said, grow up. You've got to be able to admit that you're still immature in many ways. I'm poor in spirit. I'm weak in spirit. And so now I begin to mourn. I begin to mourn. Now, when we talk about mourning, we talk about comfort. 
Listen, we're talking about the morning, that deep guttural thing over something that it's like died. And so this is, this is more than just a morning that happens over uh, the bereavement of someone, of a, someone that is deceased in reality. I know there's some application there. God still comforts us through those times of needs. But this is a little bit more than that, just mourning over someone that, that has passed away or your dog that, that's pushing up tulips now. It's, it's more than just mourning. That's a mourning over something very close, very nigh, kinship to you that, that is something that you loved very, very, I'm talking about a really, really great sorrow that we're speaking of here. And so in order for that to happen, you mourn for sins. It's just a natural flow. The two connect so beautifully. It's just a natural flow that after you're poor in spirit, you're going to mourn over something. That whenever you realize you're weak, you're going to mourn over something. And a lot of times in the life of of, uh, individual humanity, after we realize we have a need, we're mourning over our past wrongs. And we're mourning over our past sins. Whenever you start looking at the Beatitudes, you really see a process of life from someone who was alienated from God and now comes close to God. Because you go through a process. You realize, man, I'm in need. You begin to cry. We may call it repentance. Call you whatever you want to. But you're penitent. You're repenting over wrongs of past life. Then you come to a place you're going to start being meek and mild and listening you know, to the voice of God. And before you know it, they're starting to cultivate in your life light the hunger and thirst after righteousness you see what I'm talking about they kind of go hand in hand as a matter of fact in Luke chapter 16 this is just for reference but in Luke chapter 16 we have uh, the story of the rich man and, and Lazarus and, and how Lazarus sat at the rich man's uh, gate every day and he even begged for just some crumbs and for some food at his gate but he was never shown any mercy and never shown any, anything to him and the Bible says that these people die and, and that the rich man goes to, to, to hell and, and, and Lazarus is in what they call Abraham's bosom and, and that the rich man is even asking uh, Abraham if Lazarus can just dip his finger in some water and put it to his tongue to cool it and, and Abraham says and so many words to the rich man who is now in hell he said unto him he said hey this man Lazarus begged at your gate he was a beggar if you remember from last week uh, the, the, the being poor in spirit is literally being a beggar in spirit he said this man was a beggar he was in need <laughs> he said but now death's coming gone and now he is comforted. <laughs> he was a beggar, but now he's comforted. How in the world did that happen? He wasn't just a beggar. He was a mourner. He had some great turmoil and stuff in his life that he mourned over. And now though that life has exited and everything is done, it says ye shall be comforted. Now he had torment seemingly upon the earth, but now he is comforted. Rich men, you were comforted in your life, but now you are in torment. Thank be to Jesus. So whenever we look, whenever we consider this idea of mourning, without mourning, listen now, without mourning, people are without being mourned with. Without mourning, people are without being, being mourned with or comforted. And without rejoicing, they are without being rejoiced with. What are you saying? I'm saying Romans 12, verse 15, that we've used at various times throughout the years. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep with them that weep. If you subtract mourning from your life, you subtract those who would mourn with you. Amen. And sorrow or mourning or weeping, all these things can do a few things in our life. 
it can show us some things, probably at these times more than any, and that is it shows us the kindness of our fellow man or brother, sister. It shows us the compassion, the comfort of our God. Find a people in that mourning stage. Now, I hope humanity doesn't get driven so far from the landmark, but people just seem to have a compassion for someone that's in a spot. Amen. They take meals. They mow grass. Uh-huh. They send cards. They might throw a little money in the hand. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yet God is very compassionate as well. The Bible in 2 Corinthians 7.10, this is the sorrow or the mourning that I believe the Scripture is speaking of here in the Beatitude. 2 Corinthians 7.10, the Bible says, for godly, everybody say godly. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now, although I believe we shouldn't silence, shouldn't be silenced in our mourning, I believe we should be taught how to mourn mean, meaningfully. Yeah, mourn meaningfully. The sorrow of the world is this. There is a mourning that is self-serving. There's a mourning that just tries to get attention. The Bible speaks of, just for your reference, in 2 Samuel 13, 2, the Ammon mourned or was so vexed, the Bible says, Ammon was so vexed and was sick because he per se loved Tamar, his sister, that he went into her and forced her and defiled her. Now, that's not the type of mourning that we're speaking of here in Matthew chapter number 5, that God's going to comfort. Ahab mourned over Naboth's vineyard. The Bible even says in 1 Kings 21.4 that whenever he came home after Naboth said, no, you cannot have my vineyard. It's my father's. This is the place of my father's uh, uh, sepulchers. This, this is the place there. This is my father's inheritance. You can't have this. And, and whenever he heard all that, he went back and he, uh, he had himself a good old pity party. And the Bible says he laid him down upon his bed, turned, his, turned away his face and would eat no bread. Now, that's not the type of mourning we're talking about here in Scripture. That's mourning that's self-serving. That's a mourning that's a result of not getting your way. Yeah, that's a mourning that's a result of not getting your way. That, that's sorrow of the world. That doesn't profit anything. Sorrow of the world, the sorrow of the world can also be some other misapplied mourning. For instance, when we look at the story in the early books, or early book of the Bible, Genesis, Cain, Cain had some mourning. He had some sorrow. He cried out in Genesis 4 after he had killed his brother Abel and, and he was going to be a vagabond going from here to there and seemingly have no permanent place. He says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. What Cain's mourning was about was that he was more troubled over his punishment than he was his sin. Cain was more troubled over his consequence than he was his sin. My punishment is greater than his mourning was, you know, his mourning was the mourning of the kid that gets his hand caught in the cookie jar. They're crying because mama caught them, not because they put their hand in the cookie jar. They're upset because they got caught. They're going to take that back to the bedroom and hide, nibble on that thing and put the crumbs under the bed. And they're crying because now they can't have cookies for a week. It wasn't so much their hand in the jar that they're crying about. It's because for a week, I'm going to do it without cookies. That's sorrow of the world. Really not profitable. 
But godly sorrow, godly sorrow, work of repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. In other words, you never have to be sorry for being genuinely sorry. Let me say that again because my tongue kind of got caught around my eye too. You, you never have to be sorry for being genuinely sorry. Amen. It was just, just last night we got home and, uh, and uh, didn't feel like cooking anything or warming up the kitchen because we'd turned things down. It was kind of warm in the house anyway. So I was going to go out and, and just grab something to eat. And so we went to the drive-thru. Everybody was in the vehicle. My wife told me what she wanted. They came by. I told them what my wife wanted, except I, I eliminated one word and what she ordered. And she got it. She bit into it. She said, oh, this is. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I must have. And I, I bet I probably said sorry ten times. You know. <laughs> I don't have, and I was kind of like saying sorry for sorry, I guess. You know, I didn't have to say sorry for something I was genuinely sorry for. But the proper morning is a spiritual morning. A spiritual type of mourning. That when we mourn for sin more than we do our suffering. David cries out in Psalms 51 and verse 3. Brother Tyler, this is the psalm that's written in accordance with his sin with Bathsheba. He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Look at this now. After David was came to him by Nathan, and Nathan said, Thou art the man. He told the story. I'm not going to tell the whole story for sake of time. And he said, Thou art the man. And David says, Yes, I've sinned. And he said, Well, God's not going to take your life, David. He said, But the sword's not going to depart from your house. It's going to come through your family. It's not going to depart from your house. That sword is going to be prevalent throughout the rest of your days. Look what happens, though, in, in, in contrast, if you will, to the way that Cain was. David is saying, David didn't say, hey, the, 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 this sword, the sword is ever before me. That's not what he said. No, the issue wasn't with his punishment. The issue was with his sin. His offense toward God troubled him more than his punishment from God. That's true sorrow. That's true mourning. Observe, if you will, the tense of the verb here in, in Matthew 5 and verse, verse number 4. He said, blessed are they that mourn it is not blessed are they that have mourned but blessed are they that mourn it's a present continuous experience and so mourning or even this mode of repentance for our life is not just something in our history we look back upon but it should be a continuous present tense experience of mourning, a daily consciousness. I like to say it like this, a daily consciousness of the richness of my flesh wherein sin lies should make me that much more evident of how poor in spirit I am. And that should grieve my heart when I realize that I have a perfect spirit that's trapped inside a defiled body. But I'm not without comfort. Not without comfort. God delights in the tears of his people. Amen. He delights in their mourning. The Bible tells us in Psalms 56 and 8, he said, put, David says, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Bishop has preached on this before. He said, put, put, put thou my tears in thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? So if tears ain't important to God, why in the world is he bottling them for? You know, if that isn't precious in some way or important to God, then why is he bottling these things? 
But I have great comfort. I have great comfort. Because in heaven, the bottle of tears is stopped. Because Revelation 17, 7, 17 tells me God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. How is this possible? Because my main source, guttural bereavement, mourning, is a result of the understanding of the sinful man that I am. And whenever sin ceases, tears shall cease as well. Because when the last trump of God sounds, and this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality, that perfect spirit that was bound by a defiled body now has a new body. So there's no need to mourn anymore. Hallelujah. Every tear shall be wiped away from my eyes. Shall be comforted. Shall be comforted. I'm closing. If you'll stand for me. The Latin word comfort means made stronger together. Involves a fellowship with another. The Greek word Paraclete means one called to your side. John 14 speaks to us that he would not leave us comfortless. He'd send another comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. He's going to send it in his Father's name. Shall teach you all things. That comforter, that Holy Ghost, that spirit that you and I receive, it comes alongside us. It helps us. It comforts us. But the Holy Ghost can't come until you realize you're in need of it. And the comfort can't come until you literally groan and make some anguish over who you were. After the morning comes the comfort. After the morning comes the comfort. In essence tonight, the moral of the second beatitude is this. God will not leave you alone in your pain God will not leave you alone in your pain the natural tendency of a parent is to do what comfort the mourning child comfort the mourning child and the spirit of God was prophetically spoken of the coming of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 61 and through setting the captive free and being anointed, the Spirit of the Lord is up on me and anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I believe that's not just poor, literal poor, but poor in spirit. But also among the tenures and the lines there that are written in, in Isaiah 61, this prophetic utterance for Jesus Christ, he was to comfort all that mourn, to comfort all them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, garment of praise for spirit of heaviness amen hallelujah thank God for that I'm glad I can still feel I'm glad I can still feel because of that I can mourn but also because of that I can also feel his comfort when it comes later thank you Jesus for that let's pray thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.